I'm Bridget Stomberg. And I'm Lisa D. Simone. And this is Taxes for the Masses. Today's episode is on the global minimum tax. In 2021, 140 countries around the world agreed in principle to a new coordinated tax initiative designed to ensure the world's largest multinational corporations pay their, quote, fair share of tax. The proposed global minimum tax requires that large companies pay at least a 15% rate of tax on income earned in each jurisdiction in which they do business. In today's episode, we're delighted to welcome Bob Stack, Managing Director at Big Four accounting firm Deloitte, to provide an update on the global efforts to impose this tax. Hello, B. Hello, Lisa. So I'm pretty giddy about today's topic. Not surprising. I had a feeling that would be the case. Uh Um, So our longtime listeners all three or four of them yes, who have been with us from the beginning, might recall that your favorite episode ever mm-hmm. across the 50 plus that we've done. True story. Was on the global anti-base erosion or GLOBE proposal. Mm-hmm. And here we are talking about it again. We are. And just like we didn't have time to understand what childhood trauma caused you to disappear into the tax footnotes yep. as an adult. Mm-hmm. My many, many years of therapy suggest that we don't have time to just dissect my fascination with the global minimum tax. That's another podcast. Yes. Okay. But I'm excited. I am too. Um, I am excited. And mostly I'll say it's because I still don't understand exactly when or if this minimum tax will be put into place. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand from talking to some people yesterday that many companies in the U.S. were kind of hoping this thing was going to go away. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited to get a little bit more clarity, at least on that point. Well, we can certainly try, although it's, it's a little tough to predict the future. So we'll do our best. That's all we can do. All we can do is the best we can do. Our sharp-eared listeners will recall we already discussed the globe all the way back in 2021 when it was reported that over 130 countries had agreed to the regulation, not just including but nearly led Mm -hmm. by an effort by the U.S. with strong support from the Biden administration and Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. But here we are, over two years later, Mm -hmm. and not only is the global minimum tax not yet in place... But also, the U.S. is now a big, giant question mark Mm -hmm. as to whether we will ever implement the tax because Congress. Yeah, Congress. Um, So not only, to be clear, not only is Congress struggling to pass tax legislation, Mm -hmm. um, I think it's unclear whether Congress can pass any bill to keep our government running. Yes. So... I think you could say, if you're a betting person, that it might be somewhat unlikely that they're going to agree on another big tax change anytime soon. That seems reasonable at to le- conclude. At yes. least before the election, right? Yes. Um, now, that might mean that the tax isn't going to, quote unquote, happen in the U.S., but that doesn't mean that the tax isn't going to happen at all. It does not mean that. So the goals for today are first to provide a, a really quick refresher on what the global minimum tax is and how it would work. Mm-hmm. Second, we're going to try to get an update on when the tax might be implemented, if it might be implemented. And that's what I'm here for. Okay. And third, we're going to discuss some of the remaining challenges to the U.S. and the world of trying to implement this tax. Okay. Sounds good. So let's dive right in. 
Um, let's talk about what the global minimum tax is. And like you said, this is going to be a high level refresher. Yep. If you want more nitty gritty detail, you can go back to our episode on the globe. Yep. Um, so the tax basically requires what we're going to call in scope companies to pay a tax rate of at least 15% on income earned in any country where they operate. What does in scope mean? Well, it basically means that the company is subject to the tax and to be subject to the tax or in scope, you have to have at least 750 million euros, which is about $800 million in consolidated revenues. And you can't be part of what we call an excluded industry, which would be like a governmental organization and not-for-profit and certain investment companies. Okay, so most mid-sized multinationals are gonna fall within scope of the global minimum tax. And of course, for years, many of these corporations have chosen to operate in low-tax countries with corporate income tax rates well below the global minimum tax rate of 15%. And countries argue that they have the right, the sovereign right to charge those low tax rates and nobody, nobody can tell them otherwise. Not the US, not the OECD, nobody. And that's... 100% true. It is. And the global minimum tax agreement doesn't do anything to change that. It doesn't. So no country has to sign the agreement and no country has to actually change their rates following the agreement. Correct. Ireland, as an example, could continue to collect its 12.5% of income in Ireland based on its statutory corporate income tax rate if it so chooses. It can. And Apple, just as an example, could continue to pay just 12.5% of its Irish income to Ireland. Yep. And that's good because as we've discussed on our prior Globe episode, and as you know firsthand from being my work wife for 14 (laughs) years, we Irish do not like to be told what to do. No, you do not. The difference under the global minimum tax agreement is that now other countries can require companies paying only 12.5% in Ireland to pay an additional 2.5% of tax on Irish profits under the global minimum tax. The question is who gets to charge that additional 2.5%? And the first right of refusal goes to the country of the ultimate parent of the multinational. So back to that example of Apple that we're using, which is a purely hypothetical example. Mm -hmm. In that case... The U.S., if we signed on to the global minimum tax, we would be the ones getting to charge the difference between the 12.5% Irish rate and the 15% global minimum rate because Apple is a U.S. company. But you just said a really important thing there. I do that sometimes, but I don't always realize it. You you did it. Please tell me. You just did it. You just said we get that tax if. If. If we sign on. If. But. As we said, we may not ever be able to follow through on our promise to join in and sign on to this global minimum tax agreement because we have what I think we could fairly characterize as a dysfunctional legislative branch. It sure seems that way. So in that case, if we don't sign on, then other countries where Apple operates will be the ones to have the opportunity to collect that additional 2.5% tax. Yes. So what that means is even if a country, say like the U.S., chooses not to implement the global minimum tax or can't implement the global minimum tax, their companies Mm -hmm. operating there and in other jurisdictions will end up paying 15%, but it's just going to pay that what we call top-up tax to another country. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Yeah. Now, we are glossing over a whole lot of details here about how the tax gets calculated, how these other countries are able to impose a tax on the income earned by a company that operates overseas, so on and so forth. But uh, I think that's fine for our high-level refresher today. 100%. 
Um, the key takeaway that we want listeners to get right now is that we don't need every country to sign on and implement this minimum tax in order for every company in the world to end up paying at least 15% in every country. Correct. Other countries will step in and impose the tax and they have a couple different ways that they can do that. Yep. Another big takeaway I would say is that while we haven't yet seen the tax implemented, a lot of progress has been made on how exactly it can work. Like all those detailed calculations that we're not going into, that's pretty much been agreed to more or less. And so other countries are 100% moving forward with it, whether the U.S. joins or not. That's absolutely right. So for example, the European Union is leading the charge. Uh, They have an agreement for each member state to formally adopt the global minimum tax into law by the end of 2023. So this is coming for U.S. multinationals, even though the U.S. has not signed on. So the big question is, what happens now? It's a really good question and one that I hope can be answered by our guest today. Our guest today is Bob Stack, Managing Director at Deloitte. Bob recently joined us in a panel presentation to accounting students at the University of Texas at Austin to talk through what we should know about the global minimum tax. Here are some excerpts from that conversation. First, one clarification. I am a managing director at Deloitte, but I don't manage anything and I don't direct anything, which always puzzles me as to why I have that title. Anyway, what I have really enjoyed about the profession is in my entire career, I never showed up at work one day saying, this is the same old, same old, it's going to be easy because the challenges, the technical challenges, and I appreciated that more as I got older just to keep my brain working and, and really have tough stuff to do. So anyway. Bob, do you mind telling us a little bit about Guilty? Yeah, I'm going to back up just a little bit. The problem, Perfect. The problem of deferral. I just want the world to appreciate, I want the room to appreciate this problem. I was part of the Obama administration, and I was working at something called the OECD, the Organization of Economic Cooperation and Development. That's where countries get together to try to write the rules that we're all going to agree to. Remember those tax credits I talked about? Is France going to tax the U.S.? That goes back to the League of Nations and treaties that countries started to do. So there is an international apparatus to think about these tax problems we're talking about. But... Remember, you didn't get taxed in the U.S. on your offshore profits until you brought them home. And we said there was a big incentive to get a bunch of those profits in places that had zero tax. Well, guess what happened to poor old me when I went to talk to the rest of the countries in the world? Do you know how much money was sitting offshore untaxed, either by those tax havens or by the U.S. government in 2013 when I got to Treasury? $3.7 trillion. And this was not long after the financial crisis of 08 and 09. And the rest of the world said, hey, if the U.S. isn't going to tax that money, we're going to tax it. And that began a whole series of political changes in international tax among the countries. So in 2017, the U.S. woke up and said, this is kind of a losing proposition for us to let our businesses keep this money offshore untaxed. And the guilty is a a, a regime that brings income back up into the United States and lets the U.S. tax that offshore income. And that took a lot of pressure off because now the U.S. was not playing the game of letting U.S. businesses keep $3.7 trillion untaxed offshore. 
So in summer of 2021, I think it was, uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen here in the U.S. came out and helped announce that almost 140 countries had agreed, at least in theory, to this global minimum tax, that they were all going to be coordinated. They were all going to ensure that every multinational corporation, regardless of where they were in the world, whether they were incorporated in the U.S. or somewhere else, that everywhere they operate, they're going to pay at least 15%. And if we got enough countries to sign on, it doesn't matter that other countries don't necessarily sign on. But we said this in 2021, and you just said a few minutes ago that the U.S. isn't part of the game. So what happened and what happens now? Yeah, this is embarrassing um, because what happened was when the Biden folks came into office in, in uh, 21, right, they wanted to do two things. They wanted a lot of more money, right, to do a bunch of things. They wanted to do social programs and the like. They wanted to raise the headline corporate rate to 28%. And they wanted to raise that guilty rate, which was 13 and a quarter, to 21%. But they had a political problem, right? Because guess what? You're going to go up to Congress and you're going to say, hey, we have the guilty. We're the only country in the world with a bin tax. And now we want to make it higher. And the congressmen and the companies were going to say, that's ridiculous. We're the only country in the world with a min tax. And now you want to make it higher? So they said, ah, light bulb goes off, right? You know, think of those cartoons where the light bulb goes off over your head. You say, well, we're going to be much better off if we go around the whole world and we convince them that they should have a min tax. So they worked at it. And I have to tell you, I used to work at the Treasury Department. To get the Treasury Secretary and the Secretary of State calling other countries and say, you've got to get behind this thing. It's really important to the U.S. interests that we have this min tax all over the world because otherwise countries are going to lower their rates and we have this race to the bottom and we lose corporate revenue and, and we don't have enough money to fund our governments. And the Biden administration was super successful so that 140 countries, including the U.S., signed a document. Say, yep, this is what we're going to do. 15% in every country in the world. And then the U.S. couldn't get it through its own Congress. And everybody else did it. And we're sitting there going, uh, well, uh, excuse me, uh, the dog ate my homework. And uh, we, we somehow, we don't have a parliamentary system. And there was this one senator, and we didn't realize he wasn't going to go for it. And now here we are. But that's where we are. And it's embarrassing, if you were back in my old job, to have run around all these countries and, in effect, put a lot of pressure on them to do it. And then we couldn't. Now, here's a little footnote, right? The rest, much of the rest of the developed world has parliamentary systems. So if you're sitting in the executive branch, you're at the Treasury like I was, the parliament kind of does what that government says because that's the nature of a parliamentary system. The government has a majority in the Congress by definition, and there's typically one house. We don't have this, this unusual dynamic in the U.S. So this Treasury, the Democratic Treasury, even though it had a Democratic uh, majority, just kind of got ahead of itself because it couldn't deliver what it had made the rest of the world do. So as a reminder to all of you, in the U.S., to pass a tax law, it basically is not the president's job. It's certainly not the Internal Revenue Service's job, despite what some politicians will tell you. The IRS does not actually write the tax law. It is Congress that writes the tax law. And we were in a situation where we had, I believe, 50 Democratic senators, 50 Republican senators. So you needed every single one of those Democratic senators to agree to this to get something passed. And so when one of them says, I don't think so, the whole thing sort of falls apart. So here we are. 
You said that the EU is going to move forward with this pillar two starting next year. The U.S. hasn't signed on. What is the U.S. going to do? Well, it's complicated. Um, let's just start with that 15% thing I mentioned, okay? Now, the U.S. hasn't signed on to this thing. And now, you, now imagine that you're a huge multinational and you've got tons of stuff going on in the U.S., but your own effective tax rate in the U.S. is under 15. Okay, who gets the money? Because we said somebody's going to get the money. So now let's say that U.S. company has a subsidiary in France and a subsidiary in Germany. Guess what? France and Germany are going to get the tax, impose a tax based on the fact that that U.S. business had too low an effective rate. How did they get so low an effective rate? Well, Maybe they did something Congress wanted them to do, like do research and development and get deductions and credits for R&D. So now the Republicans in Congress are furious. They're like, you guys agreed to a deal where when we give an R&D credit to a company, France and Germany get to tax U.S. companies? So there's not an easy fix for that. We all expect a new tax bill in 2025. We'll go into all the politics here. But that's a big problem. The other elements are maybe the U.S. could itself adopt the top-up tax. Maybe we could have a minimum tax and pick it up ourselves. But it it's, adds to the kind of embarrassment that we got ourselves in a situation where now other countries can tax our companies, and there are folks that are just not happy about that. So with that in mind, what do you think will happen to U.S. tax revenues if the U.S. doesn't sign on? Well, this is also hard um, because what we expect to happen is that most of the countries around the world are going to take that bargain that says, hey, guess what? I'm going to take the 15. So each country is now going to enact rules to get the first 15. Well, you heard Lisa say the guilty rate's 13. So what's left for the U.S. on guilty if everybody else in the world is already charging 15? Not much. So we kind of have revenue loss right off the bat, not to mention we give foreign tax credits for those taxes paid in those foreign jurisdictions, which is just another way of saying we lose money when they put the tax in place. So that is a problem for the U.S. because when we put guilty in, it raised a bunch of money. And one thing I learned in government, by the way, is when, the, when all the – you wonder, well, how do the senators and congressmen and the treasury secretary – how do they understand all these tax rules? Well, they don't. But what they do understand is pluses and minuses on a piece of paper. So they know the tax – you will hear this when you read the press. The tax bill has got to be a trillion-dollar bill or $1.2 trillion or whatever it is. Well, that number makes up some pluses. We raised some things. We lowered some things. And, and when I was in the meetings with all the top people, there's just one piece of paper. If I get these pluses and these minuses, and we horse trade, what are the pluses and what are the minuses? Well, guilty was a big plus in 2017. It, it let them do other things. And now when we come to redo tax bill, like it's 25 as the next election, you know, what do we do now that the rest of the world has in effect eviscerated our guilty? And that's just going to cost the U.S. revenue, which is one of the complaints about the deal. So what do we do? What does the rest of the world do? How is the rest of the world going to respond, given that the U.S. doesn't seem to be signing on at least for the next year and a half? So remember I said if a U.S. parent uh, didn't have 15 percent rate and I said the other countries would take the tax. 
Well, the Republicans are saying to the rest of the world, how dare you do that? If you try to tax our companies, we're going to punch you in the nose. We're going to put out bills. We're going to have trade sanctions against you. We're going to impose taxes like you can't believe. So one possibility is the rest of the world says, oh, we're worried about this. Um, maybe we won't do it. On the other hand, maybe our Congress can't really pass anything given anything our political at system all. at all. And the rest of the world doesn't get too worried that we'll pass something. And so this is all going to be playing out in 25 when this, this tax that can reach into the U.S., goes into effect, maybe 26. So over the next couple of years, we're going to watch it play out where one party wants to retaliate. But let me make a point about retaliation. Businesses themselves, which are sometimes the, you know, the backbone of the Republican Party, they don't like an atmosphere in which we have tax wars and trade wars uh, because they're worried that the other countries will do that to them. And so it's not 100% clear you can pass a retaliation measure. Number two... A lot of the big employers in the United States are foreign-owned companies. And the members and the lobbyists go to the members in those districts and say, if you retaliate against Germany or Japan or France, uh, Mr. Congressman, they have a factory in your district that has 20,000 employees. You maybe shouldn't do that. So it's not at all clear to me that the U.S. could succeed in retaliating. But that will be the rhetoric for the next couple of years. And we're just, we're in the middle of the game. We just have to see how it'll play out. So stay tuned. All right, it is time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I will say one good thing is that I had... I mean, listening to Bob talk was great. It was awesome. He has so much experience, mm -hmm. such an interesting path that got him to where he is today. And to see someone at that point in their career still have so much energy and passion mm -hmm. and excitement and flat out nerdery mm -hmm. uh, for what they're doing, it was inspiring. It was. And uh, I wish our listeners could could have seen him yes. during the presentation. He was very animated. He was very engaging. Like very passionate about this topic, as you said, and you could see it in his body language, mm -hmm. in everything that he did. It was pretty awesome. I would also say it was a good thing that, I, I don't know, I think he helped, I was glad that he was the one who came to speak to these young mm -hmm. accounting students because I think he did a lot to break down the stereotype of tax people as like, you know, boring and stodgy. Like he was funny. He was yeah. telling jokes. He knows that this is important, but it's, it's actually not life or death. Yeah. Right. So I think he had a really good perspective. Um, and he was just a fun person. He was a super fun person. And it was also really great to see, uh, the, the over a hundred accounting yes. students really engaged. Yeah. Like they were laughing at his jokes and, um, they asked great questions yep. at the end, which unfortunately we're not going to excerpt for this episode, but, uh, it was pretty cool and inspiring to see them getting so into this topic, even though not all of them are going to end up doing international corporate tax. And one thing that we said at the end, uh, which again, I think is a good thing is you can, when you have someone like Bob, you can take these really complicated um, topics and break them down into a way that people can understand. Yep. And people should understand this because this is going to have potentially a pretty massive impact, not only on our multinationals, but potentially on our government's tax revenues. Very much so. Yes. Important. Um, okay. So lots of good there. Yeah. Should also mention that we're together. Yeah. In person. Always a good. Always love. Always a good. Um, so the bad. 
Yes. I think, and I think Bob used this phrase, it's kind of embarrassing. Mm, he did say that. Because we, meaning the United States, not yes. Lisa and B, um, <laughs> like got all of these countries really excited to do this big coordinated thing that was going to like stop the multinationals from doing all the shady things and start, we're going to report profits where they're earned. We're not going to let taxes distort things. And then when it came down to it, we were like, uh, well, you guys can do that. Right. We're just... We're busy, we're busy eating each other alive. Pretty much. Like we're, we're maybe not, we're yeah. gonna, you know, we've got, we've got other things to do. Yeah. Never mind. And it, it's, it is not a good look. It's not a good look. It's, it's, it, I think embarrassing is absolutely the right word. And also this whole thing, I'm getting a little bit of nostalgia here. Mm-hmm. It's sounding kind of familiar to something else that happened big internationally that yep. we led the charge on. And then we're like, you know what? You guys go on without us. FATCA. FATCA. Yeah. <laughs> right. Hey, banks report on all of our citizens around the world. Um, but we're not going to give the same information to uh, the rest of the world. It's, it's kind of like not surprising why maybe people don't like us so much. Yeah. So uh, I think we're getting into the ugly here. Yeah, quickly, we are. Yeah. Um, okay, so I'm gonna take a step back. Okay. Because I'm not sure if this is an ugly or not. I wanna ask you, because you've thought about this a lot more and in a lot more depth than I have. We kind of seem to have made the decision that a minimum tax is the way to go. Mm-hmm. We, we've tried other mechanisms to stop multinationals from this aggressive income shifting to varying degrees of success. It yes. seems like we're finally saying, okay, well, if everybody just has a 15% rate, then there's no more games to be played. Yeah. Is that the right approach? Do you think that a minimum tax is a good thing? So I do. I I am team global minimum tax. Um, The idea being that if every country is left to themselves and we don't coordinate across countries, we're just going to continue seeing the same shenanigans that we've seen for the last hundred years, really, Mm -hmm. of corporations taking advantage of the differences in rates and policies across countries. They are going to exploit that to their benefit seven days a week. And the only way to prevent the race to the bottom, which is all the countries want to attract this economic activity. And so they keep lowering their rates. They keep offering better policies. The only way to prevent that is to collude, to coordinate, Mm -hmm. to all agree that we won't drop below 15%. So I like the idea in theory. I do not think it is ugly. Okay. So I think very true to form, you are being generous and looking at the big picture and the objective that we're trying to accomplish. Yes. I am in the weeds. Yes. Knitting over. And that's where it all falls apart. Right. (laughs) Right. At least we're acknowledging that. Yes. So I think there's a couple things that I don't love about it and one is that it it does kind of interfere, maybe this is the stubborn Irish in me talking, but like it does kind of interfere with your ability to do what you want to do. So one of the big things that has come out of this is, you know, in the US, we like to incentivize businesses to innovate with an R&D credit. Yeah. So you could get into a situation where US multinational takes advantage of these R&D credits and has a rate below 15%, even if they're not crazy shifting income. Yep overseas. It's just because we tried to give them an incentive and Mm -hmm. they took advantage of that incentive and that lowered their effective tax rate. So I think what's got some Republicans, you know, in a frenzy, which I kind of agree with is why does France or Germany get to take Mm -hmm. that difference? Because we're trying to give an incentive to our, you know, our companies. And I asked Bob, I said, well, if the U S signed on, the U S could just take that increment. Right. And he said, well, yeah, but then you're also taking away part of the incentive. Right. And 
and when you start to think about it like that, like that, I don't love, right? Counterpoint, we have a 21% tax rate. Yes. Should we be giving incentives so big that it drops somebody's rate below 15%? I mean, that, that it, it's I, a question. I understand your point. I totally understand your point that we shouldn't be allowing other countries to come in and reduce the oomph of some mm-hmm. of these incentives. And it's not just the US, right? This, is, this applies to every yep. country. But also, how much should we be allowing in terms of these incentives? Because it does drop the rate. It, it's, it's just another way of achieving the race to the bottom yeah, on the part it tot- of the country. It totally is. And I guess you're right. And that's a, a philosophical question of how much incentive is too much incentive. How much is too much. Yeah. yeah. It's fair. Uh, the other thing that I think could be interesting about this is we mentioned at the top that some industries are exempt, including like financial industries. And, yep. and so there was some discussion that like, is everybody just going to become a PE fund now? With well, yeah, that's un- what I would do. <laughs> under 750 million of assets, you, you avoid this altogether. Yeah. Um, and so anytime, this is neutrality, right? Anytime that the tax law is really favoring one form, mm-hmm. in this case, it wouldn't even be a form of organization. It would be, you know, just Entire. size and, well, size and industry. And industry yeah. um, that's not great either. Yeah. So Agreed. All right. Um, I guess the last ugly thing I'll say is I just feel, I feel bad for multinationals because they've been jerked around a lot. They've also jerked us around they a lot. Have. And I say that as somebody who helped them jerk same, governments around same. for many years. But it is like certainty is a good thing. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And so I think, you know, I guess I kind of feel like maybe they're being held hostage a little bit of our political political system, but we all are. We all are. <laughs> we all are. Yes. We have all been held hostage by our dysfunctional Congress. Let us go. But I I understand your point. You know, it's really, really, uh, the world is uncertain enough when Mm -hmm. you've got things like pandemics and wars in countries that we cannot control. Mm -hmm. That's enough uncertainty that countries, the companies have to deal with um, without countries saying, we have a 21% tax rate. Wait, no, it's going to be 15%. Yep. Wait, no, it's not going to be 15%. We're back at 21%, but we can reduce it all the way to 10 if we wanted to. Like, it's hard for companies to figure out what the rules of the game are yes. so that they can even play the game. Yes. And so it would be great if we had a little more certainty and weren't like, we're going to join. No, we're not going to join. Yeah. Okay, 2024. Let 2024 be the year of certainty. Well, we're told 2025 after the election. Okay, let 2025 be the year of certainty. Let's hope. Well, that's all we have time for today. Be sure to join us for more tax nerdery on future episodes of Taxes for the Masses. 